Welcome to Get Outside from Ordnance Survey. On the Love Where You Live edition, we'll bring you tips on how you can continue to explore right from your door. There's a lot you can get out of learning and appreciating what's right on your doorstep. We'll hear from famous weather forecasters. Always, always look up. That's what I always say to everyone. There's always something to see. It's an absolute treasure trove up there. Map makers. So as well as everything else, you are the OS Maps man. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. That makes you sound like a superhero with a cape. It's very much less glamorous than that. But, um... Wildlife experts. Here I am sitting in landlocked Litchfield and there's people all over the world watching a greenfinch on my bird feeder. <laughs> and a brilliant bunch of Ordnance Survey Get Outside champions. I've discovered a love of wild swimming. It has given me a completely new outlook on the river and valley and has been a perfect way to manage my mental health. They'll help us see familiar spaces in fresh ways. I'll have nothing better to be on the mountaintops, cooking away, looking at the views below. And enjoy them to the full. I'm out now on the fells and it's just absolutely beautiful. The light is amazing. Head to getoutside.uk for more inspiration and plug in those earbuds, fire up your imagination and prepare to learn the secrets of loving where you live. There's a chance you've been exploring more of the places near your home than ever before and of course where we live really affects the kind of outdoor spaces we can access and how easy or not it is to get to them but wherever we live there is one thing we can all do and that is to look up time to hear from our first guest someone who knows a lot about what goes on in the sky my name's Alex Deakin. I am a weather presenter. I work at the Met Office. And Alex, will we have seen you on the television? Yes, formerly BBC weather presenter. Now I work at the Met Office. Still doing the same job, still pointing at, uh, at imaginary clouds on a, on, a, on a screen. That brings us very neatly, the imaginary clouds. We thought, well, you can do that, can't you? When you just sit down wherever you are, city or rural, and you just look up at the sky and you see clouds. And we thought, who do we need to speak to about clouds? But the weather forecaster, that's where you come in. Excellent. Yes, always, always look up. That's what I always say to everyone. There's always something to see. It's an absolute treasure trove up there. Every day is different. Every minute is different. Almost every second is different. Just look up and admire the sky and there's always something to see, even on a crystal clear blue sky day. So when I look at the sky, I don't necessarily know what I'm looking at. I can see that they're different, these clouds. <laughs> Starting from basics, what mm -hmm. are we looking out for? It does get quite complicated quite quickly, but there's a couple of things that you can really remember that will help. There's, there's basically 10 different basic types of cloud, and there's only five words that you need to remember. Uh, there's no really clever way of remembering these, but if you just think of these five, then you can make up all of the 10 names of the, the basic cloud types. And those five are cumula, which means heaped in Latin, so cumulus gives you cumulus, which is the basic fluffy cotton ball cloud that we all know. Stratus, stratus in Latin means layer, so that's the layer cloud, and one of them is just called stratus, the really low-level ones, that's stratus. The other words are cirrus, which means wispy, the high the high wispy clouds, which most of us can, can, can spot, like horse, horse hairs, tails they're called. Cumulus, stratus, cirrus, and then the other two words are alta, which means high, and nimbus, which means actually dark in Latin, but we, we generally in meteorology 
think it means rain. So if, if, if you spot a cloud that's got a nimbus in it, you're going to get wet, basically. Um, so those five words and a combination of those five words give you the basic ten types of cloud. So can you put them together in any order? Not quite. <laughs> oh. There are specific I'm getting carried away. Ways. You are. Well, well, I mean, you could put them all together and you'd probably find there is a cloud for that in the cloud. Somewhere. Um, but yeah, usually a combination of just two of them. And the big one, the number 10, everyone's favourite cloud, the one that goes all the way up through the atmosphere, your cumulonimbus. That's where your cumulus gets ideas above its station, gets huge, uh, and that's your thunderstorm cloud that goes right up through the atmosphere. Now, I think I know the answer because you've hinted at this already, but I was wondering if when someone like you, you know loads about the technical stuff, if you ever look up at a, the clouds and always think, oh, yes, cum cumulonimbus nimbostratus, or whether you sometimes just think, wow, that one looks like a horse with a hat on. <laughs> I'd much rather do it. I'd much prefer doing that. That's why I was like, it was obviously in the current situation, I spent a lot of time at home. Uh, and wasn't it glorious weather through, throughout the spring as well? And uh, we're lucky enough to have a lovely garden. And quite a few days I lay there on the grass with my daughters and we just look up at the sky. And uh, yes, I'd, I'd start off telling them that that was cumulus or uh, altostratus. And they'd say, they'd, they'd, they'd bring me back down to earth. And we'd have a lot more fun finding dragons and lions in the clouds uh, than we would actually identify them properly. But it goes back to what I said earlier, is that they change, literally change, look away, and we'd look back and say, oh, look, that, that lion's turned into a horse now because it's got a longer nose. The, the rate at which they change is just fascinating. And one of the things that people often don't realise about the weather that you can tell with the clouds very easily is that the winds through the atmosphere, as you go high up, and the winds are all travelling in completely different directions. So they can be going at 90 degrees differently, some of these clouds as well. So that's one of the reasons why they don't all sort of just gently morph around, because the winds are going at different directions through compared to the bottom of the cloud and the top of the cloud. So they're all being pulled apart in all kinds of different directions. So you can actually see that happening just by watching a cloud. So often those really wispy, cirrusy ones, they're going at up to 200 miles an hour, but they don't look like they're traveling at all. And then the cumulus are whizzing along at just 30 miles an hour uh, below them. So yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. And one of the beautiful things I love to spot as well, sunrise or sunset, is that as the sun drops or rises in the sky, it illuminates them at different rates as well. So you can really tell those different layers of cloud, particularly at sunset, uh, as the, the cumulus and the stratus, the low level ones get darker earlier and then the, the medium level clouds are still that pinky hue and then the top level clouds, the cirrus, are still white. So that's one thing really to look out for as well at sunset or sunrise, just how those different layers of cloud are being illuminated. So do you, you recommend cloud spotting, I'm guessing? Oh, what's not to love about cloud spotting? Yeah. And the Met Office as well. If you go to the Met Office website, there's loads of stuff on cloud. But every Tuesday we do a live broadcast, myself and a couple of other presenters, and we talk anything about weather. And we're, there's loads of ones in there where we've talked specifically about cloud. There you go. A top get outside tip. Just look up. For some more tips, we're going to be hearing from Ordnance Survey's Get Outside champions. There are a hundred of them based right across the country and they'll be popping up with tips to help us explore close to home. Hi, I'm Ellie and I'm based in the Wye Valley. My favourite way of exploring locally is either walking, mountain biking or paddleboarding. However, this summer I've discovered a love of wild swimming in the River Wye. It has given me a completely new outlook on the river and valley and has been a perfect way to manage my mental health. My top tip to you to start exploring locally is have a go at the Ordnance Survey Get Outside app. 
It's absolutely brilliant. Loads of ideas. Or check out the online content at getoutside.uk. Hello, my name's Harrison Ward, perhaps better known as Fell Foodie. I'm an outdoor cook and hiker, and I love nothing better than being on the mountaintops, cooking away, looking at the views below. I'm based in the Lake District, and currently I'm at the base of Loughrigg, just overlooking the Lake of Grasmere. Cooking outside is a great way of spending a bit more time outdoors, whether or not it's just picnics, or at the campsite, or even if it is taking it up into the mountains like I do, carrying it all up there in a backpack and trying to create what you would create in a kitchen normally. Why not give it a go next time you're out, or just go for a hike, a nice walk, or even perhaps a wild swim. Hi, I'm Debs and I live in Stamford, Lincolnshire. My favourite way of exploring locally is by bicycle. I just love knowing that I've got myself from place to place with just human power. And it means I get to eat more cake. If you're thinking about exploring more locally, then my top tip is to pick somewhere you think you wouldn't usually bike ride to. Maybe it's just a few minutes in the car or something like that. And seeing if you can find a low traffic route to get you there. Even better if it's somewhere you can have a picnic or a snack stop on the way and have a good rest before you ride home especially if you think it's a little bit too hard for you. If you're not sure, you're not feeling so confident, see if you've got a friend who'll go out on the bike with you, especially if there's someone who can change a flat. Have a great time out on your bike. And Deb's mentioned something that many of us would like to do, which is to find new, nearby, low-traffic places. If only there was a completely free app that revealed all the green spaces near our homes. Hang on a moment. There is. It's free, it's called Green Spaces, and it's produced by Ordnance Survey. Tim Newman is the man in charge. So I'm the digital product manager at Ordnance Survey for the OS Maps, which is an app and web service for finding walks, cycles, maps, things wow. to help people get outside. So as well as everything else, you are the OS Maps man. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. That makes you sound like a superhero with a cape. <laughs> it's very much less glamorous than that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I like that. So first of all, Tim, tell me about Green Spaces. Broadly speaking, what is it and what can it give us? Its basic premise is it's a it's a map, it's a layer of data which helps people to find green spaces near them so they can go out and enjoy them. So it includes things like parks and public gardens, play spaces, allotments, that kind of thing. So the, the kind of general idea is you can go on it, you can look in your local area and find somewhere green to go and enjoy which has been a bit of a godsend during the whole lockdown. How popular was Green Spaces when we we couldn't go very far? We had to stay local. On Sunday, March the 22nd, we had less than 1,000 people using Green Space. A couple of days later, we had more than 10,000. So an amazing increase. So for April, it was an increase of 1,161% compared to last year. So talk us through, Tim, how we access it. Because some some of the OS maps you pay a subscription for, but the the green Mm. spaces bit, as I understand it, that's completely free. Yeah, it is indeed. You don't even have to kind of register or anything. So it's free to use, ad-free, consumed away where your location is. And then you'll see a a basic map of of GB, and then there'll be some colourful splodges all around, and those represent different types of green space near you. So what it does in a way, it it invites us to explore it. It points out where likely-looking places are. So is that one of the the strengths of it, do you think? It it simply points out that, you know, there might be somewhere just around the corner that you didn't know was there. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's it's obviously the sort of the first stage in a two part process, isn't it? You you kind of you sit on your sofa and you have a quick look and 
and you might be surprised that there's some some places nearby you'd never never explored and then obviously part two is to kind of go and have a look for yourself and so it's very much a kind of an inspiration thing an ideas generator and then the next kind of stage of the fun is to to go and have a look at yourself and and see what it's like in in the flesh do you sort of ever get if you're on the on the road or whatever for work do you ever think well just have a little look at what's around here have you experienced it surprising you with showing you somewhere that's green where you hadn't thought there would be something that's green it's quite a nice nice way to plan a you know I could I could either get on a busy tube for a half an hour and get squashed to death or I could go on a nice nice walk and sort of take in some green spaces around London which I'd, I'd not experienced before so it's quite nice from that point of view I think the other other time I've used it is when I've been entertaining nephews and nieces who who get quite quite restless and want to find a park quite quickly. But all of those kind of parks are on it, and that's a really useful way of quickly finding some emergency entertainment for for young kids. The nice thing about green spaces, I guess, is they're not ten mile hikes that are going to take you a whole day. They they're just sort of little little bits of interest. They might not be gems, but they you know some of them will be, some of them won't be. Just uncovering new interesting places. They might take five minutes to kind of go and go and explore so you can kind of fit them around your day. It doesn't have to be a big expedition. Mm. And sometimes those are the things that because they're so close that you can say it is something that you do to, to on the way to work or to and fro or just something somewhere where you can take a breather. Actually, those can make a really big difference because they can be part of your day to day rather than the big thing that you travel to once a year. Mm, no, I completely agree. And I think it's a lot of people, I think, use Earth Maps for the kind of the big weekend walks or the, you know, planning a, a summer holiday away in a national park. But I think it's just as valuable for a kind of a day to day thing. And you're right, it's fi- finding those little moments of enjoying the outdoors and, and kind of fitting them into your schedule, which can make such a, a difference kind of mental and physical well-being. I think. So some top tips from OS Maps Man on exploring locally. Time for some more from those Ordnance Survey Get Outside champions. Hi, I am Zoe. I am one-fifth of an ordinary family of five. And we live in Wolverhampton in the West Midlands. So in the West Midlands, we have quite a good network of canals. And locally, we've been exploring them quite a lot. We can access them from our doorstep. You don't have to travel. They're traffic-free, which is good. And we can also cycle them if we want to go further. But we've been exploring town to town. We've been accessing local green spaces and play spaces that we wouldn't have thought otherwise. It's opened up quite a new level of exploration for the kids in terms of wildlife and things that they can spot. So yeah, if you live quite urban, I would definitely recommend checking out your local canals and seeing where it can take you. I'm Debbie North and I live on a Cumbrian sheep farm. I'm out now on the fells and it's just absolutely beautiful. The light is amazing. I love to get off the beaten track when and where possible and take advantage of the open access land of where I live. Whilst my main goal is simply being outside, I do love to go in search of things like waterfalls and old kilns and viewpoints that aren't well-known honey pots. It's windy right now and it's a bit wet and there's a rain-filled sky above but it's not a problem i've got my waterproofs um what if it does get a bit damp hi my name's fiona quinn and i'm an adventurer and author i am living in the lake district in cumbria and right now i'm stood looking over windermere it's a gorgeous still day and i absolutely love exploring by paddleboard i think it's the best way for me 
even though I'm a little bit scared of the water, I think it's super accessible. And as long as I stay on the board, then I absolutely love it. If you are keen to have a go too, my absolute top tip to get out there on a paddleboard would be to hire one from a local provider. Not only will they be able to rent you out a board and all the equipment that you need, they'll also be able to give you all the top tips about where the best places to go paddling are, different kind of water conditions, and hopefully some top tips about where to get a good bit of cake. And as well as exploring the places right on the doorstep, how about exploring quieter spaces too? Do we have to go to the same big-name outdoor places as everyone else? Well, no, according to John Packman from the UK's National Parks. As he says, your nearest national park might not be the one you've heard the most about. Well, there are 15 national parks in the UK, two in Scotland, three in Wales, ten in England. And one of the things that's extraordinary is, is that, A, they're quite similar, but also extremely different. So if you think about of the New Forest. It's a very ancient place. And how different is the Cairngorms from the New Forest, or the Peak District from the South Downs, or the Broads from Dartmoor, or the Brecon Beacons and the Pembrokeshire Coast? There's that wonderful breadth of national parks. Sometimes a lot of attention is focused on particular bits within a national park. So for example, when people think of Snowdonia, there's a lot of zooming into the mountain Snowdon, whereas there are so many other places you could be in Snowdonia as well, aren't there? You're right. That um, There are plenty of other parts of the Snowdonia National Park which would be wonderful to explore, both on their website and in their visitor centres. It wouldn't be difficult to find those places. Hi, I'm Katie Tan and I'm based on the Isle of Skye up on the northwest coast of Scotland. I love to forage on my daily dog walks. It means that I'm always on the lookout for new places and interesting places close to home. My top tip to start exploring your local larder is to grab a map and search for new places that have plenty of vegetation or even a range of conditions that are good for certain plants. For example, damp heather moors are often great for things like crowberries or blaeberries. There's always somewhere new to discover and find tasty goodies, especially as the seasons change and keep things varied. I'm always discovering new things when I go on each walk. Hey, my name is Justin Miles and I'm currently based in rural Cambridgeshire. I tackle adventures, challenges and expeditions all over the globe, but we have some of the most amazing outdoor and wild spaces right here in the UK. I love exploring Britain on foot, by bike, in a kayak or on a paddleboard. My top tip to anyone starting exploring is to pick up an OS map that covers your local area, identify some interesting places and then just make it happen. We live in a fantastic country, so get outside, explore more and have some fun. And as well as getting out into outdoor spaces, what about spotting the creatures that live there? Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion and BBC TV presenter Kate McRae runs a range of wildlife webcams and family nature challenges. They've been enjoyed by fellow Get Outside champions, the Hawkswell family from Scotland. Here's Wildlife Kate talking to Mum Kim, her daughter Faith and son Bryn. Hi, I'm Kate McRae, but more commonly known as Wildlife Kate now. I'm still a teacher, so I teach two days a week. I teach outdoor learning and the remainder of the time I do a range of work that is all around connecting people with hopefully mainly local spaces. Hi, we're the Hawkswell family and we are Ordnance Survey Get Outside Champions living in Shetland. We love everything to do with getting outdoors. 
and we love inspiring others, especially children, to get out and do more. During lockdown, we've actually been in the shielding group. We've been shielding Bryn, which has meant that for it was for 100 days, we weren't actually allowed to go further than the garden gate. It's been really, really hard for all of us, but we've made the most of our garden, our windows, and obviously Kate's webcams, which have been brilliant for us. And Kate, how is that actually to hear that the stuff that you do and, and the way you do it can actually make a real difference to people in terms of what, what they can see, what they can experience? Here I am sitting in Litchfield, you know, landlocked Litchfield, and there's people all over the world watching a greenfinch on my bird feeder. <laughs> so I think it's amazing. Watching one of your garden cams, Kate, and I think we saw a coltit. There was a couple of other species of birds as well, which it was possibly a goldfinch or a greenfinch. Does that? I don't know if that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. both, um, both there. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and it was great because we didn't, we don't actually see those birds here in our garden, and so we were actually able to just scroll down your page a little bit and figure out what we were actually seeing. We are night owls, and we we didn't know whether we'd see anything during the night on your cameras, but we actually tuned into your hummingbird camera one evening oh yes in ecuador and that, <laughs> and that was brilliant i really really liked that one i know faith's really enjoyed your cameras i'm pretty sure she would like to say something if you want to here well i really enjoyed watching the bird cameras i learned quite a lot of stuff um another thing i really enjoyed is making a bird feeder with the sticks stressful at first but then it turned really fun uh other thing I really, 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 really enjoyed is camping outside and playing outside at midnight and finding new local places and paddling in the sea with my mum. Is that you, Bryn? Yes, it is. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Just having a chat with Kate about the wildlife cameras that she's had up and which you guys have been able to have a look at. What have you enjoyed most about that, do you think? It's the variety of wildlife you can see. You know, the mammal box... I think we've seen a mouse and a vole or something. And Kate, I'm, I'm hoping you can just talk us through the kinds of things we can see. If we haven't perhaps got cameras, but if we've got a window <laughs> and, and the outdoors, what sorts of things should we be looking out for? For me, birds are always going to be what I recommend people looking out for. It was birds that really got me into wildlife as a child. And wherever you are, even if you don't actually have a garden, you can even get feeders that stick on your window. So you could potentially attract birds to your space, even without a garden. Feeding the birds is such an easy thing to do. It's relatively instant and the birds that you're likely to get are gonna be pretty easily recognizable and kids love learning and love learning to recognize them. So birds are a really good way. And in fact, any wildlife from lifting up a flower pot to finding a worm to looking at earwigs or woodlouse i'm literally into every element and it's it's not so much about ideeing it's about connecting so seeing things that you like it could be touching a leaf and finding a hairy leaf or a spiky leaf it could be smelling something it could be running your hands through the grass it could be picking a flower it's all about that connection when you're outside it could just be the breeze through your hair or something as simple as that so it's about encouraging people to actually notice and to look and connect and what, what tips and tricks, and tricks do, you do you have for finding that connection so i created a range of activities that i felt would give parents a fun activity to do that their kids would enjoy and they'd look and think oh let's do that that looks like really good fun but it would also 
create a habitat or teach the children about some element of natural history. So it would you'd have a reason for doing it and that when you had completed it, it would either be a project that would benefit your garden, like my waterhole project, for example, or it would enable you to learn to ID birds. So I did one all about becoming a, a, an ornithologist and learning to recognise birds, to creating solitary bee habitats, to making a pitfall trap and catching and seeing what bugs are in your garden. So all my projects, I try to make them fun for education as well and very accessible, not needing anything you know, other than what you already might have in your home. If you had to choose one of these challenges, what would you go for? Uh, the waterhole one, definitely. So the waterhole basically is a rather posh bird bath made out of an old recycled tyre. And I showed how to really set it into your garden. So you'd never know it was a tyre. The tyre just basically gives you the structure on which to create a little drinking and bathing space for wildlife and how you could dress it and sort of in, in terms of mosses and logs and plant a few ferns until you've completely hidden it and how quickly wildlife will come and take advantage of that. And Kim, I do, I do want to ask you as well, all these wildlife challenges, is there any one or two that have really kind of struck a chord with you that you've done and loved? Yes, I actually agree a lot with Kate. Like we've been camping in the garden, we've been taking education out into the garden, we've been doing science experiments out there, been doing leaf prints with clay, just been learning so much stuff and actually discovering what's outside our house and within the very local vicinity is, it's very different for us because we are usually the ones that go all around Shetland walking and hiking and being limited to just being in the garden has really changed our view of what we actually have right on our doorstep. Actually, there's a lot you can get out of learning and appreciating what's right on your doorstep. And certainly through education and teaching children, to me, until they understand and appreciate what's right outside their front door, how can they really comprehend what's happening in the rest of the world? If they do little projects in their own spaces, you know, by putting in a little pond or planting a wildflower patch or putting up a, hab a habitat wall or a log pile, they see the wildlife reacting and coming into that. And then once they get into that and they, they connect in that way, then they can apply that knowledge into the bigger picture, like the whole world, you know, about saving rainforests and, and preserving habitats and putting in habitats and managing habitats. It's the same as what we're doing in our garden, but on a much bigger scale. So there we are, a series of splendid secrets to help you explore more from your door. To get regular outdoors audio inspiration, why not subscribe to this podcast by searching for OS Get Outside. That's the initials OS and then Get Outside as one word. And head to getoutside.uk for more information and tips.